Looking to lead smarter? Let me send you a free copy of my ebook, The Portable Guide to Leading Organizations. Text Lead Smarter to 33444. That's Lead Smarter, all one word, to 33444. This is Heidi Grant Halverson, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Um, my name is Heidi Grant Halverson. I am uh, a psychologist um, and an author and, uh, and a consultant. So uh, my, my new book is No One Understands You and What to Do About It. I'm probably slightly better known for my last book, which was Nine Things Successful People Do Differently. And between the two of those, it kind of captures what I do research about, uh, basically motivation and perception. Uh, so I work as the Associate uh, Director of Columbia Business School's Motivation Science Center. And my other job is working um, as head of the diversity and bias practice at the Neuro Leadership Institute. So I sort of got one foot in motivation and the other foot in sort of how people see us and how we understand each other. And uh, I love this. So this is, I mean, we've known each other forever. The podcast listeners have known forever that I ask this so who are you and what do you do question, even mm-hmm. when I know who you are. And <laughs> your new book is the exact reason for that, right? Because I would be a terrible person to introduce because I don't understand you, right? Uh, that's the book. No one understands you and what to do about it. So uh, if that's really true, then it's way better to just have you do the intro because you, you know, understand you better, right? It's true. You don't have to guess. And that really is, you know, this one of the, the central, it, it's one of these things that if you, I think a lot of the, certainly the beginning of the book is, is stuff that when you stop and think about it, you go, oh, yeah. Like when you think about how, much, how difficult it actually is to know each other, really, because how much of you is hidden to me, right? Your thoughts, your feelings, your intentions. I can only guess about those things. Um, I, I can listen to the words you say, but the words you say often have multiple ways that they can be interpreted. Um, I can watch what you do, but again, even behavior is open to multiple interpretations. So, so really, when it comes to understanding other people, we're really left trying to make sort of best guesses. And of course, with experience, uh, you know, we get to know each other a little bit better, and those those guesses become more like educated guesses and and we get to be a little bit more reliable but it still is remarkable the to to give it sort of the in math terminology the the correlation between how i think of myself and how people who know me think of me what they think of me um even for people who really know me pretty well is going to be about 0.5 which is to say it's not nothing right i mean they we agree to some extent about what i'm like but it's amazing how big the gaps can be between even with people who know us quite well between how we see ourselves and how how they do and we tend to assume most human beings do that other people just see us as we see ourselves and and really nothing could could be further from the truth yeah i i think there's a a, a series of funny right because our our perception of how we how other how we're being perceived is itself a right. perception and so mm-hmm. there's this funny series of gaps of missing information yeah. that we just we just sort of fill in with whatever the heck yeah, sounds we, good we we do there's lots of places for it to go wrong and the other thing that brains do is um is besides you know there's there's i mean the good news is that that it's not random right i mean i always say to people yes there's there's, there are a lot of mistakes people make when they're trying to understand you. 
Um, but the mistakes aren't random. They're very predictable, actually. Um, and, and now we have 50 plus years of research on, on perceiving people um, that we can look to to say, okay, what are the mistakes that people tend to make and why? Um, so it's not random, but, but it is still really remarkable um, how wrong we can be. And, and yet we don't often realize, and this is one of the other interesting things, that, that people don't see us the way we see ourselves because our brains are really sense makers. You know, they, they make sense of things. And, 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 our, and we tend to interpret things in a way that makes sense with what we believe. So unless it's really obvious that you just came across in a way that you completely did not intend to, um, a lot of times you won't notice that, you, that you've maybe come across as, as unfriendly or that you've come across as arrogant or that you've come across as incompetent or untrustworthy. You won't even know that that happened because you, you won't read the signals that might tell you that. Um, so there's a lot of room to get things wrong. There's a, one of my favorite things to say about this is, um, and I know you're a big Malcolm Gladwell fan and I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan. And, and it's funny because his book Blink is, I think, terrific. But there's two things you can say about person perception, like how we see and understand each other. And they're completely opposite, but they're both true. Um, and, and one of them is what he talked about in the book Blink, which is that it's amazing how right we can be about other people based on very little information, right? That thin slice idea um, that we, could, we seem to, sometimes we get intuitions that just are remarkably correct based on almost nothing. Um, but the other thing you can say about person perception is that it's, we're remarkably wrong about other people despite having lots of information to go on. And in some ways, I think that's the more, maybe the more in a day-to-day -day basis important part of the story because we, we really are not coming across the way we intend to a lot. Um, and, it, and, and for people who are, um, for people who are in sales, for people who are in positions of leadership and management, to, to really be sending the wrong signal is really going to undermine your effectiveness. Um, so, so really, the book is about sort of opening people's eyes a bit to um, the fact that we are misunderstood much more than we realize. And to the extent that we can do something about it, you know, what can we do about it? Yeah, and I want to. So you use you use the term with predictable. There are predictable ways in which our brains go wrong, et cetera. And I wanted. Mm -hmm. I would be remiss if I did not touch on one thing that I absolutely loved, which was. Um, I think anyone that's ever taken even a one hundred and one level psychology course gets uh, introduced, lightly introduced, but you forget about like what this actually means to things like halo effect and primacy effect and confirmation, mm -hmm. all the different biases that our minds have. But when you're you know, like a 19-year-old kid in a psych 101 class, you never actually get into like, <laughs> here's why this affects you, right? Right. And I love, I love that the book actually covers that. Here's what this has to do and, and how this explains why, you know, no one, one of the reasons why no one understands you. But then I also love that you used a metaphor that I, in all of my psych, um, hadn't heard. But as soon as I, I heard this metaphor, it made perfect sense. And that's that the reason a lot of these biases exist and the reason they're so predictable is that our brains are cognitive misers, right? Our brains right. are just like really lazy. And so that's why this goes off the rye in predictable ways. Yeah. I mean, you can think about the cognitive miser idea is, is, is you know, not mine. It's, um, it's something that uh, Susan Fisk, actually, at Princeton kind of came up with this, this, this way of talking about the nature of brains. And it's, it's really quite true. And, and Kahneman talks about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, as well, that there's a, you know, human brain activity. When, when you really want to think thoroughly about something, um, 
there's two, you, have, you have a couple of, of issues. Um, one is, is that there's a capacity issue, really, meaning we just simply cannot think deeply about everything. We, we don't have time. There, there's, we are constantly bombarded with information all day long. And to think very, very deeply uh, about every single person you encounter and every one of their behaviors and every one, everything they say is just simply not realistic. Um, it also is difficult. And so it takes motivation. So I'd say that, you know, the story of the cognitive miser is, is a little bit uh, about laziness in the sense that we often are okay with just getting the gist of something, like the gist is good enough. Um, it'll do, you know, I don't want to really work harder to understand you. Um, but also there are sometimes, like I said, just capacity issues. Like even if I am motivated to be really accurate about my colleagues and my team and my customers, um, I've also just got a lot of stuff going on. And so sometimes we take shortcuts and use heuristics and assumptions to understand one another just because we, we don't have or we at least don't feel like we have in that moment the bandwidth to do a better job. Um, and again, until you get some feedback that tells you you're wrong about someone, the gist seems to work just fine. Um, and so a lot of times, and, and then so the upshot of that is when it comes to understanding how other people are seeing you, one of the things we have to deal with is the fact that most of the people around us are content to just get the gist of us. Um, and sometimes the gist will be wrong. And rather than rail about the fact that it's unfair that you're being so, you know, pro you know, you're being thought about in such a shallow way and people aren't working harder to understand you better. Um, I mean, you can get upset about that if you want, but it's not going to be very useful. It's instead, I think what you can do, you know, what is in your control is to try to be very deliberate about the signals you send in the first place, so that when they do just get the gist of you, the gist will actually be fairly accurate. Hmm. And you know, and this is something I have to say because we're we're recording this. Well, actually, we're recording this on launch day for no one understands you and yeah. what to do about it. But it probably won't come out for um, several weeks after that. So you know, mm -hmm. you all hopefully already own the book, but now you know what's in it before you read it. But the other thing that we're recording this is it's like the season where people are announcing that they're running for president, right? And for, to me, presidential candidates right. are like the ultimate in figuring out that, yeah, most people want the gist of you. And knowing that, here's how to shape the gist of you kind of properly. So it was one of the other things, rereading, you know, we, we read this, um, I read the, the Galley a long, long time ago, and then rereading it to prep for this interview, I started thinking about it again. Like, yeah, this is all a matter of making sure people... I mean, presumably people understand that the gist of you is actually accurate, right? Not that the gist of you is inaccurate in a way that favors you for electability, but that it's actually an accurate, authentic portrayal as you, of you as a leader. I, I mean, I'd like to believe that, right? When people asked me uh, early on whether or not this was a book about making good impressions, I sort of, okay, so yes, technically, you can use this book to make a better impression. But what I, I like to think of it as as a book that is about coming across the way you intend to. Um, and, and, and I would like to think that people are trying to be authentic. Um, I, I think that that's probably uh, maybe naive a little bit, certainly when it comes to politics. But, but in general, I think there are some mistakes that politicians have made that I think uh, arguably were just that. They were, um, they were behaviors that sent the wrong message. I remember, I don't know if you're, Old enough to remember this, David, uh, but when George Bush Sr. was running for re-election and there was a sort of a town hall style debate with young people, I think it was even maybe hosted by MTV, and he, um, 
he, he, and it was with Bill Clinton, uh, was there and he, um, he looked at his watch as if he was really bored with the whole thing and couldn't wait to get out. Um, and that was certainly the way it was interpreted and it came across as very cold and distant and uncaring and it was very, very consistently, uh, you know, um, interpreted in that way. And, uh, and, and that's not surprising given what we know about what the signals are for warmth and coldness, that sort of not looking at people when they're talking and doing things like looking at your technology or looking at your watch back then is very consistently interpreted as a signal of coldness. Now, do I think that in all reality, President Bush the first actually didn't care about those people in that room and, and really, you know, was bored? No. <laughs> I don't think if you really look at the man and, and you look at what's known about him, I think he is actually a very caring person. And, and so that, that's probably not the correct interpretation of what those behaviors meant. But it was uniformly what people took it to mean. So I think that there are these real dangers for people in the public eye and actually for everybody, for you and I, when we're in, the, in a meeting. You know, these little things like not looking at someone when they're talking to you and looking at your smartphone instead um, can send a really strong signal that you have no idea that you're sending. Um, and, and that's really the danger when the gist is just completely wrong. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what I'm trying to, to give people some insights into. You know, I told a story at the beginning of the book, which is a completely true story that my husband was the, was the inspiration for the book because he, I asked him, you know, what kind of, of if, you, if you were ever going to read a book by someone like me, what would, what would you want it to be about? Because he's not all that interested in my books on goals and motivation and whatnot. And he said, you thought about it for a little bit, and he said, you know, I guess the one thing that I'm, I always wonder about is sometimes I feel like I don't come across the way I intend to with my team, with my colleagues. And I'm, I, would, I get the feeling that maybe I'm coming across as aloof or, or uncaring um, or maybe a little bit arrogant. He's like, but I, I'm, I'm just not sure what I'm doing that's creating that problem, so I don't know how to fix it. And I thought, well, that is something that's you, so universal, right, that we've all had that sort of nagging suspicion that we've, we've, we come across, we're, we're doing something that's giving the wrong impression, but we don't really know what it is. You actually had a great story, David, didn't you, about when you first moved uh, to Tulsa? Oh, and, my gosh, yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, I, and you... Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I mean, if you know the story. Uh, no, no, I don't remember. The, I just but, know it, no, yeah, something so, had to do with being a Yankee, I think. Yeah, right? so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Yankee. I was born in Philadelphia. I spent, uh, before I moved to Oklahoma to go to college, uh, I spent most of my life in, in New England. And we're like, you know, uh, we're we're mass holes, actually, is probably the best term, right? <laughs> we're, we're a little colder. We're a little more aggressive, uh, a lot more sarcastic, et cetera. And my my wife, then sort of girlfriend at the time's roommate, loathed me for a lot of those reasons. I mean, she was the normal sort of warm, welcoming, you know, Midwestern, Middle America type of person, and so she just loathed me. And um, <laughs> it took it took a long time for sort of my my wife to explain to her, no, 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 no. This is actually sort of the type of person he is. It's just kind of different. And now we're like we're really good friends. They they live in a different city, and I remember I was at I was in their 
same city at a speaking arrangement and ended up going out to dinner with her and her husband, et cetera. My wife not even there, right? So we eventually, over 10 years, got to the point where now we're good friends, even apart from having to have my wife be there. But it took a long time because, and at 18 years old, I'm totally unaware of all this. I mean, I, I could have used this sure. book like like 15 years ago, Heidi. But you know, you just illustrated, you just illustrated one of the other things I talk about in the book, which is the, how hard it is to overcome a first impression that's gone wrong. And I think, you know, because that's a perfect story to illustrate it. We, you know, I get, I think when the, when the, when the book uh, started being sent out to, to journalists and things like that, one of the, probably the number one topic that people wanted to interview me about was how to correct a bad first impression. So that's, I think, clearly there's a big market for articles on how to correct a bad first impression, <laughs> and, and I understand why. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, the first impressions are very, very stubborn. And it's unfortunately very easy to make a bad one. Um, and if you know about the, part of the stuff I talk about in the book is why the brain is so resistant to updating a first impression, sort of what the odds are against you. I keep saying I really wish I could say, oh, it's really easy to make a, a second impression. All you have to do is X, Y, and Z. It's actually really hard. Um, and one of the two ways that really works is what you just said, which is patience. Um, and basically being in a situation where the person who's who's gotten the wrong idea about you has no choice but to kind of put up with you for a long time. <laughs> and, and so, you know, in the case of your wife's best friend, it's like she was sort of stuck with you. And over the course of being stuck with you for, for many years, she got a chance, to, you got a chance to basically bombard her with enough evidence that you weren't, you know, this terrible jerk. But then, in fact, you just maybe had a different way of expressing yourself than she was used to. Um, to finally tip the scales in the direction and, and have her update that opinion of you. Um, and you find that one of the things I tell people, if you really want to know what other people, what the kind of impression you're giving off, take somebody like that. Take someone who's known you for a long time and say, if you didn't know me as well as you do, what would you think of me? And, or is there something about me that you, that you, uh, you would, if you didn't know me so well, you would think X, Y, or Z. And that's the perfect kind of person to tell you, right? They say, well, if I didn't know you so well, I would kind of think that you came off as arrogant or rude. Or if I didn't know you so well, I would think you weren't listening because a lot of times you don't look at me when I'm talking. Or if I didn't know you so well, X. You know, that's a great question. If I didn't know you so well, blank is a great way to elicit feedback about what you what signals you do send early on in a relationship that people who've gotten to know you for a while have realized are wrong um so so yeah so that's thank you for sharing that because that is one of the one of the ways of updating an impression is basically the tor it's like the tortoise and the hare it's the, that's the tortoise method just hang in there and and eventually people will come around um but of course you don't always it's it's not always easy to get people to continue to hang around you <laughs> After a bad first impression. Yeah, I was going to say. So, what's the hair method then? If I'm short well, on time, well, and really, it really it's 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 not a hair. I mean, it's a it's a faster turtle. It, <laughs> there's no there's no there's no total hair way to do this. But um, but the way to speed up the process a little bit is to have um the other person's outcomes in some way really depend on you. And the, and the ideal way to do this in the context of work is to actually work together on a project. Um, and that's, again, very counterintuitive to people because if I get the impression one of my colleagues doesn't like me, the last thing I'm going to do is ask my boss to assign us to a project together. And yet, that is actually 
the most effective thing you can do. And for two reasons. One is, again, it, it, push, it pushes you to spend time together. So it gives you a chance to show that you are different than the person thinks that you are. But the other thing it does is sort of activates the activates the person's desire to be really accurate about you. And again, this is an unconscious thing. When our outcomes depend on other people, we automatically and unconsciously become much more motivated to get them right and to go past the gist and to go and to do that, some of that deeper processing. Because if, if my outcomes depend on you, I really want to understand you and I want to be able to predict what you're going to do. And I want to figure out how to work with you, work with you well. And again, a lot of that is totally unconscious, but it's what's happening. We really, we feel this need to really be able to predict the other person. And so, because of that, I, you know, take my miser hat on off, and I get to work. Actually, and you'll find this all the time that people will say, you know, I thought so and so was a real jerk, but then I, I work with them on something. I realize he's not such a bad guy, and and that's what's happening. Right? It's, what's happening is that working together, having your outcomes depend on each other, is forcing your brain to update that first impression in order to be more accurate of you. So, so that, you know, that's a version that might take a month rather than a year. Um, it's still going to take some time because you really still, there still has to be some time for you to, to show them, give them some evidence that they were wrong about you. Uh, it just it just increases working together or having your outcomes depend on each other really increases the motivation to get you right um, in a way that time alone um, doesn't. Hmm. Well, um, Heidi, I, I could have used the book 15 years ago, as we've already yeah. established. Hey, I could have used the, it 15 the, years ago. <laughs> the next best time would be uh, right now. So awesome. Thank you for you writing that. and giving me an early preview and helping me monitor uh, my signals much quicker. I You actually, in this interview, now got me paranoid about the Apple Watch that I just pre-ordered because now I'm going to be looking at my watch way more often <laughs> and probably perceived as way more colder. But luckily, I know what to do about that because I've read the book. However, <laughs> that all of that being said, maybe we need, I, I need to get to know you a bit better. Maybe our listeners need to get to know you a bit better, which is also why uh, and again, all of this stuff was happening before, but now I have justification through your book. It's also why we ask the last two questions we always ask on on the show. The uh, the first one being, what are you reading right now? Well, you know, it's like it happens to just be book publication season for some of my favorite people. Um, so uh, right now I'm actually reading Dory Clark's book, Stand Out. I know Dory is a friend of yours as well. Um, about about having a having a breakthrough idea and getting people to to recognize that and come on board with it. Um, and I love Dory. She is so brave in the way she writes about. So you know, for people that don't know, Dory Clark is an amazing expert on on brand identity um, and your own brand and understanding your personal brand. And sometimes that phrase gets used in a way that makes people think it's kind of gross. But really, with with Dory, it's very about much about authenticity. Um, and, and very much, you know, her work aligns with, with some of the stuff I do in the sense that it's really about understanding perception um, and, again, making sure that your perception lines up with who you are and really being very deliberate about the signals you're sending. But she writes about it from a very, she comes to all of that from a very different uh, background and set of experiences than mine. So I just find it really fascinating. And, uh, and that's what I'm, I'm reading right now. Very cool. And, yeah, if you have not already listened to the podcast episode with Dory, uh, about that, these the two books are actually fairly complementary. If you really think about it, if you're that type mm -hmm. of person that wants um, to to sort of really focus in on your brand, then really you should read both, uh, and you should read both very not quickly. You should read them in depth, but you should read them in a very uh, recent period of time so that you got it. Because, like I said, 
Could have used it 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> so the, the next the next question, you, you're always into a bunch of different stuff because you've got like nine different jobs at the same time and, yeah. and writing books and all sorts of things. So what's, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of this message to get out, but what's next for you? Are you, has your husband decided what new best-selling book he needs you to write? No, I'm, I'm actually refused to ask him for a while because I, I've gotten, re- <laughs> I'm sure he'll give me another really good idea soon. But right now, I'm really excited about some, I mentioned before, I'm working with the, the Neuro Leadership Institute now. And they, they do some really, um, when I wanted to, to, to get uh, really involved in doing, working with organizations, and I was looking for a, a home that was, you know, a place where people based their recommendations on science and evidence, um, I, I really couldn't find a better place to, to partner with than them because their, their whole approach is really, how do we understand the brain? and the, psycho- the science of psychology and, and then have that inform some of the really intractable problems that we have in the workplace, like how to, how to do effective performance management and, and my area, which is, um, you know, how to deal with unconscious bias. And so uh, it's been very exciting. We've really been working hard in the last year to come up with a program of, you know, the, the thing about unconscious bias is that it's, it's unconscious. And we take that word very seriously. I think there's a, there's a lot of work out there kind of where a lot of what people are doing in organizations is saying, um, you know, well, let's educate people about their unconscious biases, and then they won't be biased anymore. And 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 it, it, that seems like it should work, but it really doesn't. Because you, it's sort of like saying, if I educate you about your pancreas, um, then you can you can decide how much insulin it will make. Like you still don't have access to your pancreas. You know, I could tell you all about your pancreas, and you have no conscious access to it at all. And it's that way with unconscious bias. Um, I can tell you all about why your brain does has certain kinds of things, you know, why there are halo effects and stereotyping and confirmation bias. I can tell you about when those things occur and why they occur. And it won't make you any more aware of when it's happening to you because it's unconscious. So how do we then, you know, the challenge, which I found really exciting, is how do we then give people tools they can use that break bias without actually having to catch yourself being biased? And that's that's the new stuff that I'm working on. And we've, we've started partnering with a few companies to really kind of help people have some tools for making decisions that remove bias um, without you ever really knowing it was there. Um, and that has just been a tremendous amount of, of fun and an exciting challenge and, and ultimately I think an important one um, for, I mean, for, for uh, there, the good news is that most organizations are aware that breaking bias is a really important issue. It's super hot topic in Silicon Valley right now. Um, but then we have to really start giving people some tools to help them do it. And it's exciting to be a part of that. No, that sounds really, really exciting. And and Thanks. but yeah, and I should say, in the meantime, if you can't figure out how to counteract your own biases, that's okay because you can figure out how to counteract <laughs> them in other people. You know that no that's one right. understands you and what to do about it because you've read Heidi's book. So there you go. It's, <laughs> Thank it's, you, David, for bringing it all to the book. That's totally. nice. Totally. Well, I mean, the the book is the book is awesome. Um, it's available now. It's been endorsed by some awesome people like Dan Pink and Adam Grant. And oh, look, me. Um, and so, by the way, thank you, thank you for putting me on the same pages with all of those people. So that's thank cool. Thank you. I totally don't deserve that, but thanks oh, for not seeing me the way I am. Stop. <laughs> we all think you're much more awesome than you do, David. Trust me. <laughs> Well, Heidi, thank you so much. This has been really cool. The book is really cool. Check it out. No one understands you and what to do about it. And we will, of course, be following how to figure out what to do about the fact that we don't understand other people. That's like the follow-up. So (laughs) that's awesome. So Heidi, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab.
Thank you so much, David.